0: It's so good to be together. I want to share with you, before we get in the Word, I want to share with you two things to be praying for. The first thing is we uh, have a team that's going to Rwanda on Tuesday morning, 15 folks from our church flying out. They'll be leading a VBS in the community there, Bujasera. that's where we have a church that we partner with. They'll be teaching a parenting class there and visiting some of their child sponsors. But it's always flying internationally. It's, you know, we just love to pray for them and for God's mercy. So keep them in your prayers. Secondly, pray for an event we're doing Thursday night called Connect Night. I think I got a slide for this. Uh, We've done two of these now in this summer and it's sort of part of our philosophy as a a church of we, we want people who are visiting or new to feel very welcome and start to feel like they're getting connected. So this night is an opportunity to gather out on the lawn. It's for people if you're really new to the church or you're still checking out the church and you want to meet folks or maybe you've been here for a while but you just feel like you're not connecting yet. Remember what it felt like that first Sunday when you came to River West? Remember that feeling? Was someone nice to you? I hope so. Did someone invite you out for lunch? I hope so. Well, we want to we cultivate that. And so this is one of those opportunities. Pray for that event. It should be a great time. And come, come join us out there, 6.30 p.m. Thursday night. And with that, we'll get into the word. What we love to do around here, grab your Bible. Would you open to the book of Psalms? If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are coming down the aisle right now, and you can have a Bible, and we are in this summer series where we're looking at some of these practices of the Christian faith, what some people call spiritual disciplines, or they've sometimes been termed habits of grace. I like that language, habits that we, that God's given us, they seem to show up a lot in the scriptures, practices that you can make a part of your life, and when you do it, God's grace is there, and you grow. And so we've looked at some of these already this summer. We've looked at daily Bible reading, and we've talked about the the Christian habit of meditation, biblical meditation, contrasted with other forms, but that really biblical, solid stuff where you hide God's Word in your heart. Last Sunday, a guy preached a sermon on solitude. And so these practices have been really helpful. And this morning, my goal is hopefully to recover one of them for you that might have fallen on hard times, okay? It's a practice that is meant to be a regular part of your prayer life, and it's a practice that David describes for us in Psalm 32. Will you turn there with me, Psalm 32? And while you're turning, consider the following quote. The great Puritan author and pastor, Thomas Brooks, once famously wrote, Repentance is the vomit of the soul. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like a good Puritan quote? The Puritans, they were super intense. Repentance is the vomit of the soul. It's very intense. It's very graphic. But I like it. There's a part of it that's good, right? Because there's some wisdom in that. Your body throws up because it needs to sometimes. There's stuff in there that your body's trying to get out because it's really bad for you. And often there's relief on the other side of throwing up. But there's a problem with that quote. Repentance is the vomit of the soul. And the problem is this. For many Christians, when we think about repenting, it sounds a little bit like throwing up, (laughs) meaning... We don't want to do it, do we? I don't know about you, but I avoid throwing up at all costs, okay? I hate it, even when I know I need to do it. Now, my daughter, Lauren, she had mastered the art of throwing up as a child. She was constantly throwing up, and it was the projectile kind, all right? We used to drive out to Washington Family Ranch when I worked for Young Life, And Lauren would sit in the middle and we put a little television on the console because we were poor, so we didn't have other technology. So we put a little television there. And I remember every time we drove out there, vomit would hit the top of the television set. (laughs) You know, she just, if you look up projectile vomit, there's a picture of Lauren in Wikipedia. But most of us hate it. We avoid it. We do anything to not do it. But here's the problem. What if we were to discover that the biblical picture of repentance is just the opposite? Okay, what if we were to discover that repentance, and this is going to sound crazy, but what if repentance in the Bible is actually a source of great joy? And not only that, not only is it a source of great joy and a pathway to joy, but what if we were actually to discover that the neglect of repentance can be a source of great anguish. It can actually be the cause of a lot of our problems. Well, what I want to argue this morning is that that's precisely what the Bible teaches. And to do that, I'm going to go to Psalm 32. Will you look there with me? That is David's message, Psalm 32, an amazing psalm, a psalm I hope you'll begin to use as a part of your regular prayer life. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the first five verses. You look along on the printed page. Here's what happened to David. Psalm 32, verse 1. A maskell of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin." There it is. It's almost like you hear David telling his story. Isn't that interesting? So biblical scholars tell us that Psalm 32 is what they call a, a penitential psalm. Penitential psalm. Big word, kind of a fancy Bible word, penitence. Many of us here were like, what does that mean? It's very simple, penitence. Or penitential, it basically means it's a psalm about sin. It's a psalm about how to express sorrow for sin. That's what penitence means. It's, it's this description of coming to a place where you feel deep sorrow and you, and you confess your sin. But here's what's amazing. Did you know that there are actually many penitential psalms in the book of Psalms? There's not just one. It's not like most of the psalms are praises and then you get Psalm 32 and then you get back to all the praising. If you actually studied the psalms, one of the things you would discover is that there are multiple psalms like this. Psalms that God has given us as if he wanted us to make a regular practice of praying like this. Interesting. And so I have to ask the question... Why would God do that? Why would God give us not just one, but if you were to just read and pray through the Psalms, one of the things that would happen in your prayer life is periodically, as if almost God wanted it to be a practice of your life, you would find yourself turning to a Psalm that gave you language for how to come into God's presence and talk to him about sin in a biblical way. Amazing. How profound. And so isn't it interesting? There's actually something precious about repentance. We never talk about repentance like that. I know I don't. I want to avoid it. And yet the Bible seems to describe it as this precious practice. Amazing. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for David. David. You know, I'm th- it's weird to say because David was like a world-class sinner, all right? This guy, he sinned in the m- most profoundly wicked ways, right? If you ever feel bad about yourself, go read the story of David. You will immediately feel better, all right? 2 Samuel verse 11, it's this horrific story of adultery and deceit and murder. And yet, God in his grace, allowed David to understand something, even in the midst of that, David would flee to God and he would confess his sin. How powerful. And in the process, what happened was David discovered some incredible wisdom about repentance. And I want to show it to you this morning because I want Psalm 32 to become helpful for you. So what I want to show you today is there's three... Three truths about repentance that you have to see, okay? Here's truth number one. Write this down. It's very simple, but you're going to need this this week. You're going to need this. Truth number one is the grace beneath repentance or the grace under repentance. There's Repentance will never become precious to you if you don't see the grace that's underneath it that makes it possible in the first place. Psalm 32 is a psalm about sin, but what's so fascinating is it begins with joy. Isn't that interesting? The first word out of the gate, and David repeats it, is the word blessed, which is a celebration word. David is rejoicing. He's saying, blessed, look at it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the person whom, against whom the Lord counts no Iniquity. David's talking about an experience of complete fulfillment and happiness. That's what the word blessed means. Amazing. And so what you realize is this psalm is a celebration. Even though it's a psalm about sin, this person is celebrating. The psalm is not a dirge. It's not a lament. All right? This is not a country western song. All right? You ever heard the one about what happens if you play a country Western song in reverse? Have you heard this? You know what happens? You play a country Western song in reverse, you get out of jail, you sober up, you get your truck back. Okay. You get your wife back, the dog comes home and the train is still in the station. Amazing, right? <laughs> okay. But, and that's, this Psalm is a, it's a celebration it's a song about joy. What kind of joy? This is a person who has realized the most blessed person in the entire universe is the person who's been forgiven by God. Whoa! But if, see, if you don't if if you don't believe that or see that, repentance will be something you will avoid at all costs. Amazing. Not only that, what, what really what the psalmist is doing here, what David's doing is he's showing us the character of God. Look at, look at your Bible, verses 1 and 2. God is the actor in this. This is a picture of the grace of God, his character. The psalmist says, who is this God? What kind of a, of a God has the power but also the desire to completely forgive my sins, to cover over them? Amazing What kind of God would do that? A God who is merciful and kind, a gracious, heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you something? One of the reasons we avoid God when we've sinned is because we don't actually see him that way. Have you ever noticed that? If you see God as vindictive, if you see God as petty, if you see God as up there watching your every move, waiting to pounce on you, you will avoid Him at all costs. But the problem with that is the God of the Bible has revealed Himself to be just the opposite, a gracious Heavenly Father. Man, this was driven home for me when I had kids, you know? You become a father, and suddenly it's, it's almost like it gives you insight into how God sees you. And the same thing happens for mothers. I remember holding Lauren when she was a brand-new baby, and I remember thinking, I would forgive this kid of anything she would ever do to me. <laughs> oh my! God. Can you imagine, as a parent, withholding? Forgiveness from your child, unthinkable. Bridget used to come, my other daughter, she used to come, she had a very sensitive conscience. And so when she would do something, she could not hold it in. She would have to come and and repent, you know. I remember one time she took permanent markers and she painted the cat. I've told this story, the cat came down in (laughs) multi-colors, permanent markers. It was bad. But anyway, and then about about five minutes later, Bridget came down the stairs, you know, with her face, her cheeks were red, and the tears were starting to well. And I had already forgiven her before she even confessed, right? You know, because that's what fathers do. That's what fathers do. Now take that, multiply it by a million. This is your heavenly father loving you. Waiting, wanting you to come, giving you words in a psalm that you could use. How precious. Wow. How precious. The thing that strikes me the most, if you look again at verses one and two about this verse, is that what we have here is a picture of complete and comprehensive forgiveness. All right? This is like forgiveness all the way down and all the way out. Because what David does, if you notice, he gives us three words for sin, and then he gives us three words for how God has pardoned. Isn't that interesting? So we have transgression first, then sin, then iniquity. Those three words. It's as if David is saying, sin is complex enough, it's multifaceted enough. One word's not going to cut it. We need a couple words to describe this. So we have these three words. And each one kind of gives us a different window into what sin is. So the word transgression describes your attitude. That's like the heart part. And what it describes is this almost like this defiance. Picture it like a clenched fist towards God. That's the transgression part. It's like, it's not just that I've sinned. There's a part of me that that wanted to do it. There's a defiance, right? But then... The word "sin," the, the word we commonly use, that word is a word that means missing the mark. So picture, you know, um, the, the picture there is you're 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 shooting at a target and you fall short, or you or you go to the left or the right. It's God has a goal, God has a standard, and we keep missing that standard. And then the word "iniquity" describes sort of the the sickness of it or the twistedness of it. There's a it's like. You're veering away and you're longing to veer away. And what David says is, you got to have all three of those to get the depth of sin. I don't know about you. Each of those words, I hear them and I'm like, yes, transgression, yes, (laughs) defiance, falling short, yes. That's me. That's me. How does God respond though? Look, first, he, he forgives. The transgression is forgiven, which is a word that means to lift up or to, to, to take the load away. The picture is like someone who's just burdened with something heavy. Have you ever felt that? You're just carrying something so heavy, and someone comes along and they just say, Let me take that from you. And you just you feel like a load has been lifted. That's forgiveness. But then the second concept there in the next phrase is the person's sin is covered. It's a fascinating Hebrew word. It means to conceal, which sounds odd to us, but it's actually this idea that the sin is there, it's just that God covers it over so that you can't see it and He doesn't see it. Isn't that interesting? What's amazing is that later in the Psalm, David uses that same word to describe what he had tried to do. He tried to conceal his sin from God and when we do the concealing, it's really bad, right? But when God does the concealing or the covering, it's the gospel. He covers over our sin with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Brothers, this is like the heart of the gospel. God covers over your sin. He conceals it, and it's bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And then not only that, he doesn't count it against you. Verse 2, blessed is the person who the Lord counts no iniquity. This, the word counting is the word reckon. It comes from the world of like an accounting ledger where you have debits and credits. And it's as if God is up there saying, all those debits against you, I don't even count them. They're wiped away from the ledger. Amazing amazing. And then what happens is you step back and go, no wonder this person is rejoicing. They have been forgiven completely, how powerful. Can you remember a time in your life when someone forgave you? We just think about this, this will be helpful for you. Have you ever had a situation where you really blew it in a relationship? and you and the relationship is broken there's hurt maybe there's even tears and you know it and you go to that person and as you're going there's the nervousness of like i need to talk about this i need to ask for forgiveness do you know that feeling when the when you 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 confess and you ask for forgiveness and that spouse or that friend or something they just say i totally forgive you I won't ever bring it up again. It's in the past. And you just go, oh, that surge, that feeling of, now take that and think of that at an eternal, like multiply it by millions. This is your Heavenly Father. And you say, what, what could make something like that possible? There's only one thing grace. The grace. the repentance do you see it oh i hope you do but there's a second thing we need to see in verses three and four equally critical the second thing we need to see about repentance is the anguish without repentance okay there's grace underneath repentance but there's another thing that david wants us to know he wants us to know about the anguish that is the result of of avoiding repentance, or in the absence of repentance, if you carry on with all of this unconfessed sin, it's as if David is saying, there's a kind of suffering that comes into your life. Did you notice it there, verses 3 and 4? The language, he's describing this deep, deep anguish. He talks about his bones wasting away. That's a figure of speech. I don't think his physical bones were wasting away. He's he's trying to capture physically something that was happening inside of him, this deep existential angst. I think David knew I'm not right. I am off. I'm way off with the Lord and I can feel it in the depths of my bones. And I'm suffering. He says, I was groaning all day long. He describes himself in the, in the second half of verse 4 like a plant that's had all of its vitality drained. See that? It's like you picture just like a withered plant. All of the life-giving water has just drained out of it. And David says, that was me. That was me, this deep anguish. But then you realize, what's the cause of this? Amazing, It's not what we would think. We look at verse 3. What caused this kind of suffering? It wasn't actually just the sin. The sin is bad enough. You know what it was? It was David's silence about his sin. How interesting. It was the cover-up. David tried to conceal this. He tried to protect, it's not there. Lord, I'm fine. It's not there. And he kept silent. Amazing. Uh, Biblical scholars have concluded that David waited for one entire year before he confessed his sin about Bathsheba and murdering her husband. A year. Can you imagine that? That is a long time. And what was the cause? What was the result of that silence? He just, his body started telling him about it. Right? It's so true, isn't it? We know this. There can be almost like a psychological, spiritual, emotional, even sometimes physical anguish that can become a part of your life if you go too long with unconfessed sin. Man, I had so many people come up after the first service and say, I needed this sermon so much. I needed this. Okay, we get it. There are things about your life, if you neglect them, eventually your body's going to tell you about it. Your your body's going to start shouting at you. If you don't sleep for several nights in a row, eventually your body is just going to scream at you, right? You can go one night without sleep and and do pretty well, but... Two, three, four. Have you ever had insomnia? Five, six, boy, oh boy. You neglect sleep for that long, and it's like there will be this anguish. Food. Okay? You go for an extended period of time and you and you withhold really good fuel for your body. Your body's gonna tell you about it. I remember watching a documentary called Super Size Me. Do you remember this documentary? <gasps> Okay, these documentaries are really popular in our culture, stuff about food and the horrors of the food industry, and and it's great. But this was the original one. This was the guy who decided that for 30 days, the only thing he would eat was McDonald's. Do you remember this? And he had all these rules. So for 30 days, okay, every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, McDonald's, He had to eat everything on the menu at some point in 30 days, and he couldn't eat anything that's not on the menu. So he couldn't have anything healthy in addition. And not only that, this is the funniest part. If the employee at McDonald's said, do you want to supersize that? He had to say yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's why they called it supersize me. And you know what happened? He got supersized in 30 days. He gained like 30 pounds in 30 days. And not only that, he got super depressed. He started experiencing all these psychological problems. You know, it took him, he, afterwards, it took him a year and a half to lose all of that weight. Amazing. You neglect yourself, you carry stuff around for too long, eventually, you're going to suffer. Knots in your shoulders, insomnia agitation. Maybe you start to get a really short fuse. I don't know. For David, he described it as his bones wasting away. What about you and I? Amazing. David says, enough. Now let me show you one thing about verse 4 that's very interesting. There's two things that happen in verse 4 that we have to see. The first is, if you notice, one of the causes of this anguish is actually God. Because David says, your hand was heavy upon me. And then when I I read that this week, I thought, it's not a picture of God, it's not a picture of the vengeance of God. This is a picture of almost like that moment when God, because he loves us so much, he says, I need to apply a little pressure right now. I can tell you're you're holding it in. You got a lot of unconfessed stuff going on and I just love you. And so I'm applying a little pressure. Amazing. But then the second thing that's happening in that verse, look at verse four and then in your own Bible, look to the right. There's a little word there. Did you notice that word? Say it to me. What's the word? Selah. Did you see that word? Interesting. That word in the Hebrew is a, it's a musical term. It's a term they used to let us know that this was a point in the psalm where there would be an interlude, a musical moment where the lyric would stop and there would be a little bit of music as if to say, okay, we've just said a lot, we've, we've sung a lot, let's take a minute now and take a little pause and think about this. You're tearing through Psalm 32. You read verses 3 and 4. And the second you read them, you're like, I want to move on as quick as I can. (laughs) The psalmist says, actually, that's not a wise thing to do. You know what you really need to do? Slow down. Take a pause. Reflect on your life. Wait a minute. Am I out of sorts? Am I tied up in knots right now? If there's stuff that's hidden, but it's percolating up, it's, it's revealing itself in anguish, this, I need to be wise. And what happens is David makes a major turn in verse 5. Look at it. It's all building to verse 5. The, the celebration of God's grace in 1 and 2. All of that anguish in 3 and 4, the pause, the selah, he's got time to now think about it. And what happens now? He makes a massive turn. And this is the third thing I, we have to see, the total turn of repentance. Repentance is about a complete turn. That's actually what the word means. Repentance means to, to change your mind. Or to even, it's even used as a, to describe turning around. You get to a place where you go, okay, I am th- I need to change my mind about my sin, about who God is, and it's so radical, it's so deep that I actually, I, I'm, I decide I'm going to go in a different direction. And that's what David does. Will you read that with me? Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin." See again, we have the three words for sin right there. Look at that in your Bible, sin in the first phrase, iniquity and transgressions, there they are. And then not only that, David adds the word, my, in front of each of them. This is so critical. David is saying, okay. This is actually precious, Lord. It's time to talk to you about this. And I'm going to talk to you about it. And I'm going to talk about my sin. I'm not going to talk about my neighbor's sin. I'm not going to talk about my spouse's sin. Oh, I could go on a long time, Lord, about that. I'm going to talk about my stuff. And not only am I going to sort of talk about it, I'm going to talk about it all the way down to the bottom. The full thing. So he says, I'm going to acknowledge it. Acknowledge is this beautiful word in the Hebrew. The word, you see the word know in that word acknowledge. That's that's the root of the Hebrew word. It means to know something because you you face it fully. You look at it square in the eyes and you say, I'm not going to pretend it's not there. I'm going to look at it. This is really what's happening. I'm going to acknowledge it. A great illustration for this is when you you see something in full daylight, and you can actually see everything about it. Have you ever noticed stuff looks better when it's a little bit dark? My backyard looks amazing at dusk. All right. (laughs) And then I see it the next morning. I'm like, my yard looks horrible. (laughs) All right. My dinner looks amazing in a dimly lit restaurant. That's why they dim the lights in the restaurant, right? But you bring it into the full light and then you go, whoa, there's a lot going on here (gasps) and I need to acknowledge it. So he does. And not only that, look at that. There's the word again. I acknowledge it. I'm not going to cover it anymore. Boy, oh boy. I'm not going to cover this. I'm not going to conceal it. I'm not going to hide from you, Lord. And then finally, David says, I'll confess. I will confess. I'm going to talk about it. That word confess, I love it. It actually means to throw, to throw something out. And the idea is there's a part of repentance. There's a part of confession where you, stuff that's in you and you know it, you, it, it needs to come up to your tongue, and then you need to speak it out. And this is why, like, what I want to recommend in a minute, I'm going to actually show you how to use the psalm to do this. This would be the moment where you go into a closed door and and you speak. There's something about the tactile element of getting that stuff to your mouth, saying it out loud in God's presence, and it's, as, and you're just confessing it, you're throwing it out. It's And here's the thing, River West, this is precious. This is beautiful. It's not something we should avoid or fear or, or, or regret. It's something we should long for. What a privilege. We have a God who's so gracious. Amazing. And so David does all three. Now let me point out one last thing, and then I'm going to close here. If you look at verse 5, what's really fascinating about verse 5 is we skip the confession part. David says, I will confess my transgressions. So he he announces his intention to confess, and then we move immediately to, and God, you forgave me. How interesting. Where's the confession? David says, I'm intending to do it, and then the psalm just skips right over. Why? Why? What's happening here? I think a couple things. One, it goes back to this idea that is, God's is just so ready to forgive. It's almost like you, you come to him, and you're like my daughter Bridget, and you're ready, and God says, I forgive you. Right? That's his heart. But here's, I think, what's actually going on here. What that does is that keeps this psalm open so that you can use it. Right? You don't need David's confession, and he did confess. You don't need to hear how David spoke to God. This is the moment where I go, okay, now in, at this point, now this is where I talk to God about my stuff. So, two weeks ago, I got to go away for a, a, a prayer retreat. And I do this each summer, where I'll take a week and I'll I'll go away. I was at the beach; it was a beautiful week at the beach. And I had one of those mornings where it was a beautiful morning. It was a Tuesday morning; the sun was out, um, there was no wind. I was suffering for the Lord at the Oregon coast, and I walked out on the beach and I and I opened my Bible to Psalm thirty-two. Now, here's the thing I need to tell you: I I actually did not know yet that I was going to preach on this psalm. Today the Lord took me to Psalm 32 randomly. I just opened my Bible 2 weeks ago and I started walking down the beach. And you know how you can walk on the beach and you don't really even have to look where you're going that much because it's so wide open. And I was walking, I walked for miles. And I had Psalm 32. And what happened was I started walking through it really slowly. So I read verses 1 and 2, this blessing, God's grace, and then I would stop and I would pray, think about it. And I would keep walking and I would read 3 and 4 about the anguish and then the the selah and I, and I paused and I really thought about my life. And then I read verse 5 and I noticed there's this opportunity for me to talk to God and so I did, I just... Talk to God about my stuff, right? Did you know that part of the purpose of Psalm 32 is for you to do the very same thing? And I want to encourage you to do it. So what I'm going to do is now I'm going to... You'll need to write these things down. I'm going to give you the four sort of steps. These are really quick. But you go, okay, everything you're saying, this is for me. I know it. I need this. I need this practice. Here's what you do, okay? Take Psalm 32. Go into your closet. Close the door. Open the Psalm. Step one, celebrate grace. Just celebrate. Read verses 1 and 2, and then just praise God for his character. Who is the God of the Bible? He's merciful, kind, compassionate, slow to anger. Amazing. Celebrate that. Step two pause and pay attention if there's any anguish in your life. Read verses three and four. There's the Selah, okay? And then you do it. Pause and think about your life. Now, wait a minute. Am I being totally honest with myself? Have I thought about this? Am I praying about this? Am I considering? What's my body telling me? What are those knots in my neck? (laughs) Now, it's not always the cause, it's not always caused by sin, but sometimes it could be, right? Step three talk to God about your sin all the way down. Not just kind of. Drive that nail all the way through the board. Touch the bottom of the well. And if you are talking and you know I've not touched the bottom of the well, keep talking, keep praying. You'll be amazed. Step four walk in joy as a forgiven one. Walk in joy. Amen? This is where you walk in joy. Okay, can I read to you the rest of the psalm? when you look at it? Psalm 32. We left off at verse 5. Look what happens next. This is amazing. The first thing I'm going to ask you to notice is there is no more mention of David's sin from verse 5 on. As if God is saying, in the past. In the past. And I think God is saying, I want you to let it be in the past too. Now walk in joy. Here's what he says. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. Corey Ten Boom, that sounds fair. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is a person walking in joy. Now God starts talking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. Don't be stubborn, God says, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And then look at this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous one. And shout for joy, all you upright, in heart. The psalm ends with the description of you, the one who has confessed all the way to the bottom. Now God says, Do you know how I see you? I see you as totally righteous. The sin is covered. I I wiped it from the ledger. I lifted the burden. And now you, you, put your shoulders up and walk in joy. Amazing. And I pray for you this week as you practice it that it'll bless you. You know, that walk of joy is a description of what we do every Sunday when we come to this table. Did you know that? It's a walk of joy. Because the person walking to the table is a person saying, My sins have been forgiven because of the suffering and the resurrection of my Savior. Amazing. That's why there's so much joy in this place that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, it's a beautiful thing. So this morning, I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to invite you to stand and with great joy walk forward to get the bread and the cup. Will you bow your heads with me right now as the worship team comes? Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you for your word and how we recognize that we need this practice. In your great wisdom, you gave us not one, but many psalms just like this, that we can go, open them, take the language, and pray and begin to talk about things we might not otherwise ever talk about. And so I pray this week for... Our community, that this would become precious, Lord. I know, God, there are many who came in in anguish, feeling the heaviness, feeling the burden, feeling twisted out of sorts, and in your grace, you're you're calling and revealing and releasing that. And so may we be a community that confesses sin and then walks in joy, we pray. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. God bless you. River West.